Well, good morning, church. I tell you what, I got to talk a little bit about our music uh, for a moment here. Man, Matthew does such a good job, and you guys probably saw this as much as I did, but each of those songs just ran into each other. And I just really, man, there was a message within that, right? All of those songs together. Just how, it was like a confession of how we trust God in the midst of any and all situations. Uh, there was a sense of us confessing to God how much we trust Him and, and putting our faith in Him. The first song, you know, it was talking about that God is good, you know, and then it says, and you do never, you do not disappoint or let me down. That's what I think it was, let me down. And I thought, hmm, that really has to be sung by somebody with some maturity, right? Because for us to say that God does not let us down, I could think that probably most of us could come up with some ways that God maybe has let us down. Do you remember when you were like a teenager or just a kid? If I were to ask a teenager or, or a, uh, a young child, does your dad ever let you down? I bet they could come up with a handful of ways that they let him down. Like he did not buy me ice cream last week when I really wanted it, and I think I deserved it, you know what I mean? But as a mature person now, an adult, if somebody were to ask me if my dad let me down, I would say no. He's always there for me. He has always gone out of his way. He has always done more than. He has always tried to. How much more so could we say that about our Heavenly Father? I mean, sure, he's let us down because of little things come our way. I shouldn't say little. They're big things at the time. But the song is about maturity, and it's about realizing that God has got us for all eternity. He, has not, he is not ever really going to let us down. And at one day, we are really going to completely understand that, I know. But just, just having Matthew and Madison sing that, and I know that they could probably think of some ways that they wish things would have went differently. But they have the maturity to know that their God never lets them down. And they are teaching us that to you, you know, in their music. And I appreciate that so much. So we are, one more time, I promise this is the last time, but we're going to be in Acts chapter 13. You're like, we're never going to get through this road trip with Paul if you just stay in one spot. And I'm sorry, but I just, there's so much here. And it's such a pivotal thing, I think. Um, here because this is the beginning of, of Paul's ministry and, and, and this is like, like a hinges on a door. This is, you know, this is where everything got started. And in fact, one of the things, and I'm not going to get into it greatly, but at the beginning of this passage of scripture, we see that it's Barnabas and Saul. By the end of this passage of scripture, we see that it's Paul and Barnabas. That's pretty significant. And the, and the reason is because, you know, Paul's apostleship is being laid here. This is where he, there is something that's very significant that changes in this scripture. And there's also something I think very significant for us as a church to learn here. And we've been learning each week as we go. And there's just a little bit more I want to point out and hopefully get us to learn uh, as we go. You know, the main theme of the book of Acts is the work of the Holy Spirit. It, it really is. It's, it's the Spirit of God using people. I mean, there's significant people in the book of Acts and significant people participating in, in doing things, but if, it, if you eliminate the Holy Spirit, these people are just people, not accomplishing really anything without the Holy Spirit's backing and work. The early church did not grow because of their hard work. The early church grew because of the work of the Holy Spirit. And I really think as a church, we have to understand that. Like, we have to understand that for our own benefit, that we have to have the Holy Spirit. When, before I come up here on stage, I always pray. It's like a must prayer for me, and that is, Lord, you've got to speak through me, or this is not going to accomplish anything. And, and sometimes I feel like I just fall flat on my face, you know. And yet, you know, you were just like, man, Mike, that's what I needed to hear. And if that is the case, it's only because of the Holy Spirit. It's not because of Mike. And I realize that. I recognize that. Like, 
I have nothing, I, I offer what I offer, but I really have nothing to offer of significance. And if anything good happens, it's just in this church or in us individually, it's because of the Holy Spirit. And so I want us to notice that today. As a child of God, we have been sent by God. And he has empowered us with the Holy Spirit. All of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ have been have put on the Spirit of God, or we have the Spirit of God living in us. And that is such a significant thing. And if we have the Spirit living in us, He's going to send us out. Because He's, he's going to want to accomplish something. That's what the Spirit's job is, is to move and to accomplish significant things in this world. And He, and he does it, but He does it through us. So all He has to do is get us moving. And so... Something very important for you to hear today is that you have been sent out. But the good news is you have the Holy Spirit. You have been sent out by the Holy Spirit. What is it you have been sent out to do? I don't know. That's really between you and the Holy Spirit and Jess. I mean, I, I, I can see some of the things, right? As you are doing them, I can like okay, I know that the Spirit is leading you. And I could really point out some people right now that I see this happening right at the moment, right? Because they're doing things, and you can see the Holy Spirit backing them and, and causing things to happen. But one of the things that I know that all of us are sent out by the Holy Spirit to do is to lead people to Jesus. That's what it all is about. And, and sometimes I think we, we forget that we were all called to lead people to Jesus. You know, 1 Corinthians 7, 17, it says, Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all of the churches. Pretty significant stuff, right? Each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is a rule I lay down in all the churches. First, first Peter 4, 10, it says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So whatever gifts that we have, we are to use to serve other people. We are to use everything we have. When we speak, we we should speak as if we are speaking on his behalf. You know, if we serve, we should serve with the strength that he gives us and knowing that he's going to empower us to give glory and praise to him. Everyone is called to ministry. Now, not everyone is called into the ministry. And there's a difference, okay? Every one of us is called to ministry. But not everyone is called into the ministry. I've been called into the ministry, but I've also been called, before I was called into the ministry, I was called to minister. And every one of you are called to minister. Every Christian, no matter who we are or what we do, we are called to minister to others and to make disciples. Whether you are a nurse, a business owner, a teacher, a dog groomer, an athlete, or a combination of those five, you are called to use whatever you are doing right at the very moment to lead people to Jesus, to tell others about Jesus. What does that mean? Well, let's think about this for a second. Do you believe that your preacher should have the ability to lead somebody to Jesus? Do you believe that, church? Okay. I agree. And I knew that. Like, if I'm going to go into ministry, 
as terrifying as it is, I've got to figure out how to lead somebody to Jesus. If they come and ask me, or even if, they, if, I, if I encourage it, I've got to be able to lead them to Jesus. You know, early on in my ministry, you think that this isn't terrifying. It's terrifying. When I, early on in my ministry as a preacher, a young preacher, just starting to preach, I would have an invitation. Why? Because, like, I was forced to have an invitation. Like, there's an invitation song coming, and people were expecting an invitation, an opportunity to respond to God's Word. And I would come down here, and I would pray, God, please don't let anybody come. <laughs> because I didn't know if I'd know what to say to them. What is, what, is, what is it that they would want? I don't know if I know what to do. And I know that that sounds stupid, but that is just the way it is. And I thought, well, but I got to know. So you know what I did, right? I figured it out. It took a lot of, you know, a lot of time and a lot of prayer, but I figured it out. That doesn't terrify me anymore. And so now my prayer is, Lord, please, Encourage them to step forward. Encourage them to come. And my invitations are a little more stronger than they used to be. They're a lot more generic when you don't want somebody to come forward, right? You just pray and hope, you know. Now, do you believe that your preacher should live a good moral life? I agree. In fact, when preachers don't, it really... It really is used by Satan to diminish the work of the church. Probably the latest one that I can think of is Hillsong, Brian uh, Houston, which I have met uh, at a conference that Lori and I went to one time down in Texas, and he spoke to us. Anyway, I, allegedly, he's had some moral issues, and he resigned from that. He's the co-founder you know, of Hillsong, which is all over the world. He's Australian, and that's kind of where it started. And you probably have heard they even have, like, something on, like, Netflix or one of those platforms about this, right? Well, you know people outside the church just love this kind of stuff. Satan loves that kind of stuff. Is it important for preachers to have a good moral life? Yes, because we rep- who we represent, and, and it's, it's important that people see how amazing Jesus is, not for us to preach Jesus and then live contrary to it. So, you agree that the preacher should be able to lead somebody to Jesus, and you agree that the preacher should have a, live a good moral life. What I would tell you is that the Bible agrees with that too. It also says that you should be able to lead people to Jesus Christ and that you should live a good moral life. It is not just the preacher that should have these abilities. I realize that that terrifies some of you because it terrified me. I would have liked to have passed the buck myself when I was young. And so often I think that that's what we do. Well, that's the preacher's job. We'll just take them to the preacher. But the reality is is that I'm not expecting you to know how to do it without learning how to do it, but you shouldn't feel burdened to learn how to lead somebody to Jesus because you are in ministry. When you signed up to be a follower of Jesus, you signed up to be about ministry because that's what Jesus is about. He came to seek and to save the lost. And we should feel this burden if we're following him, just as the disciples felt this burden following him. And so often they probably felt inadequate too. But we'll get into that. But here's the reality. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, it says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, and by the way, you will be slandered, because people are looking for opportunities to slander people who are ministering for Jesus Christ. But when you are slandered, those who rival your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So, both things are right there, isn't it? Be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the hope that you have. And live a good moral life so that when you're slandered, they will be put to shame. They won't have anything to stand on. 
We are all ministers of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're setting up something up here, and then we're going to get to Acts 13. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, and it's very important, right? If anyone, not just the preacher, if the preacher is in Christ. No, it's everyone. He is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. He's talking to everyone. All this is from God, whom Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Let's pause this for a second. We were reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, right? He is the one who came and took us, which was far away from God. There's no way for us to get to God. Came and he reconciled us. He brought us to God and made us right before God. That's what Jesus did for us. And then he passes this ability to reconcile this, this ministry of reconciliation to us. Jesus is still the one who makes us right before God. But now we have th- this information. And we, it is our job to take it to people and say, Hey, I know somebody that can reconcile you to God. His name is Jesus. That's our ministry. That is our task, our job. It's been given to us, all of us. Verse 19, that is, in Christ... In Christ, God was reconciled in the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him and entrusting us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We employ you on behalf of God, be reconciled to God. And so Paul was passing, these are all This is Paul's words there in Corinthians. But Paul was passing on the baton, the responsibility that he has felt. But he realizes everybody should be feeling this. We all participate in this. So, all of that is important for me to say this about Acts chapter 13. And another thing that I want to make sure we understand before we move on. And that is this. When the Holy Spirit comes, and he will come... In fact, he has already come upon some of you. When he comes with a job offer, accept the job. Can you remember that, church? When the Holy Spirit has placed an opportunity upon you, and you feel a tug, a desire, just like Paul and these other people were feeling, when we first were introduced to them. When we feel that, we need to accept that. Let's look at verses 1 through 5 and just be reminded one more time of this situation. Now there were in in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent off by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they had arrived to Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. Now, there's a whole lot of people that are mentioned here. There's Barnabas, who is mentioned first, by the way. And like I said earlier, eventually he is not first. It's not Paul and Saul. It ends up becoming Paul, I mean, Barnabas and Saul. It becomes Paul and Barnabas. And that's significant because roles do change. Even within the church, they do. Some of you young people eventually are going to start having to step up and take leadership roles within the church as you mature and grow and we get older and need to step aside because that's just the way it is. But there's other things that that things like this happen. You, You see it even in your own family, right? But that things like that change and that's okay. Because that's just the way that that is meant to be, passing the batons and stuff. But Paul, Barnabas is mentioned first, probably because he is the leader of this group. 
probably when they have their meetings and stuff, they're waiting for Barnabas to get the show on the road, so to speak. But eventually it's going to be Paul that everybody's dependent upon to get the show on the road and bring up the conversation and lead it and such as that. But Barnabas is Jew. He's a Jew from Jerusalem church. Simeon of Niger, he, a lot of commentators will say that, that he is from Niger, meaning from Nigeria, but also pointing out that probably he was a black man. I don't know, but that's what they say. Lucius also is from, uh, like, North Africa. Manna, who, Manon, who is also Jewish, but he is a, a friend of Herod. He is like the half-brother, like we talked about. And then you have Saul, who was a Jewish man who was going around killing people in the name of God, but killing people who were followers of Jesus. And you have this motley crew of people that are just have so many different backgrounds, ethically and, you know, just uh, culturally and all kinds of stuff that, that makes up these people. We've talked about this. But what they all have in common is that Jesus has come into their life and has the Holy Spirit has come upon them and is leading them to do things. And so while they are worshiping and they're fasting, the Holy Spirit came and started guiding and communicating to them. And what I want you to see before we move on is that they accepted the job. They were looking for it, but they accepted it. Be my guess that from what I can tell when I look out here in this crowd is that everyone here has been looking for guidance of the Holy Spirit to be upon them. We go to God for all kinds of things. We're sitting here because it's our way of coming to God because we need him and we're seeking him. And the Holy Spirit is going to come upon people like that. And he's going to have specific things for them to do. Remember we talked about last week the umbrella and spent a lot of time about the universal will of God. Just a a moral code that he has for each and every one of us. But inside of that moral code, the Holy Spirit speaks and he has us do specific things. And when that happens, we need to accept the the job. The Holy Spirit calls us to ministry. Not the ministry calls us into the ministry. Sometimes he calls us into the ministry. And there's some of you that may be called into the ministry. But he calls all of us to minister. And, and, if, and it'd be my guess in multiple ways, right? And anyone can do it. I'm not, I'm not this, this sermon is not geared towards just certain people in this congregation. It is geared towards each and every one. And for us to really understand that the Holy Spirit has this power. It's not the power within us. We're not waiting for you to get good enough so that you can carry out ministry. It's just waiting for you to accept the job to carry out ministry because the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers us, church. And anyone can do it. I'm going to give you some extremes. Extremes in, wow, I can't believe that they're doing it, to extremes in, wow, I can't believe that is being accomplished. We talked about these in Sunday school a while back. That's the reason they're fresh in my mind. But let me remind you of Nick. How do you pronounce his name? Vuichka. Okay. Do you remember Nick? We've talked about him before. He has no arms. This hasn't been photoshopped. He has no arms, no legs. He was born this way. And if you you just Google this man, you will be blown away. But when he was a young teenager, he wanted to commit suicide having a difficult time trying to figure out how to accomplish that, maybe, I don't know, on his own. But he had no will to live. He had no future as far as that he can see. For whatever reason, in all of his desperation, he finally said, okay, God, I don't say you can use anybody like me, but I need your help. And he just 
poured himself out in this man. It is amazing what God has done with this man because he is just willing and just said to the Holy Spirit, okay, I will do whatever. He speaks all over the world. He's from Australia is where he was born. All over the world. He has met every significant person that is alive today. He speaks in high schools. Tell me another preacher that speaks in high schools wherever he wants to go. He speaks wherever he wants because everybody wants him to speak. But he is in love with Jesus more than you could ever imagine, and that's what he is sharing with no matter whom he is going to. He skis. He snowboards, or if that's what you call it. He will do anything and everything. And he has this family. These are his kids. That's his wife. How does a man that has no arms, no legs, have a wife like that? You should be asking yourself that question. And the answer is God. Only God. Only God can use a man like that. Only God. But see, the thing is, is that what you need to really understand is that he can use anybody. Isn't that what we're trying to figure out here? Anybody that just says yes to whatever his call is. Let's talk about this lady here for just a second, because that's another one that came up in our Sunday school class. Joni Erickson Tata. When she was 17, she dove into the Chesapeake Bay, too shallow, very athletic. Her dad was an Olympian. She dove into too shallow. She broke her vertebrae, so from her shoulders down, she's paralyzed. Her head works fine. If you look up her paintings, you would just be blown away by what she has done with just her mouth and a paintbrush. It's crazy. She has written more books than I could even count last night. Had to have been at least 60-some books, probably more. She has like seven doctorates in different degrees, this woman. All of her books are about God and about Jesus. When she was 17, with not even being able to move anything, do you think she wanted to live? Not until she met Jesus. And now she would tell you that when she gets to heaven and gets that new body, she wonders if it's okay if she doesn't accept it. Now, I know that blows you away, but she realizes the blessings that God has given her in a wheelchair and the opportunities. And it's really hard for me not to get emotional because I know some of the things that she has talked about. But the point is, God can use every single person in this room. And it's not because you're so amazing or that these people are so amazing. It's because of who they yielded their life to and said yes to. And then God did everything. This is why God can use Paul, a murderer and a person who says that I am the least among everyone when it comes to some moral code. I'm the most sinful. And yet Paul was the most significant writer in the New Testament to us. All God wants is this a yielded heart because he does all of the work. But he does it through us. I was visiting with someone a while back, just having Bible study together, one-on-one conversation. And they were asking about the man who begs out at Walmart. I know that you've all been to Walmart, all seen him at some point or another, sitting out there, just waiting, you know, for somebody to be generous and to help. They were asking me about that. Well, what's, what they should do? And I said, well, here's my opinion. But it's my opinion, and you've got to do what you think God wants you to do. But this is my opinion. I said, I wouldn't give him any money. Not to pay off your guilt. Because if you're feeling guilty because you're having a hard time driving by him, so to make yourself feel less guilty, you roll down the window and hand him five bucks, ten bucks, twenty bucks. I don't think you should do that. I don't think the Bible instructs that. Here's what I think, though. Because the Holy Spirit has 
has been working in your life and you're the one who's brought this up, right? I think you ought to engage him and get to know his story. Because here's the thing is, is you, do, you, do you know that you would be helping him if you gave him 20 bucks, 100 bucks, 1,000 bucks? Do you know? And they didn't know. I don't know if you know. Maybe you know. But you wouldn't know unless you know his story, would you? You don't know if it would help him. It could actually hurt him. You could actually be going against God in this situation because maybe God wants him to be a beggar until he gives his life to Jesus. And then that's when Jesus lifts him up. You say, I don't know. But I encourage that they just stop and to get to know his story. Just ask him his story. And then you will be guided by the Holy Spirit what you should do as you know his story. You would know if this helps him or this helps him or something else would help him because the Holy Spirit would guide you in this. It would give you an opportunity to tell him your story and to tell him the story. You can't tell him the story unless you stop and talk to him. He's probably not going to listen to the story unless you hear his story. Are you understanding what I'm saying, church? You have to engage in ministry. Rolling down the window and offering somebody that you know nothing about, thinking that you're doing ministry, is not doing ministry. It's you avoiding doing ministry is what that is doing. God wants us, because here's what Jesus has taught us. Every time Jesus went to somebody that had a need, he offered them one of two things. He offered them the bread of life or living water. Is that not right? And that's what we are to offer to you. Those are the things that are important. Later, that same person in, in our conversation, in our Bible study, because we were studying the Word of God, and when you study the Word of God, you've, you just feel the, the Spirit of God move in you. And it moves you. That's what it does. It moves you to want to do, is what it does. And so in this conversation, same conversation, but yet completely de- depart from, you know, context, I suppose, or whatever, But later in that conversation, this person says, you know, I don't don't have anything to offer. I I don't have a ministry. In fact, that's what they said. I don't have a ministry. And I said, well, do you want a ministry? Well, I don't have anything to offer. Well, let's explore that for just a second. What do you like to do? I don't really do much. Do you like to cook anything? I kind of like to bake. I like to bake cookies. Man, you got a ministry, right? I said, you got a ministry that's already getting ready to start. Just bake for people in faith. Man, Somebody's showing up that you know, but they don't know you, to just give them something that you baked in the love of God? Would that not be ministry? Would that not be something? Because I know how important that is to people that don't, that have everybody overlook them. Nobody's paying attention to them and how important that is. And here's what I think, too, about that. I'm just going to tell you real quick, and then we're going to go on. The Bible, when it instructs us to serve one another, just like we read earlier, to give to one another, materially, you know, money, help, uh, using our gifts or anything. Most all of those instances, you can look them up, look up all of them. Almost all of them have to do with doing it with your brothers and sisters in Christ, not outside of the church. 
Now, you see if you can't figure out why that would be. I don't know that I have it completely figured out. I think I have some things figured out, but that was eye-opening to me. Very eye-opening. Partly because we know each other's stories. And we are the representation of people. Let me tell you something. If, if anybody that is out there needing something significant, but they're on the outside of Jesus, if they realize that they would have their needs met by just stepping into Jesus, that would be a real big pull their way, wouldn't it? But continuing to give them, meeting their needs without Jesus, like I don't need Jesus to get my needs met. They give me my needs met without Jesus. They're missing out on the most important things because material things are just temporary. You're just helping them for a moment, but you're not giving them the thing that they really need, and that is something that is going to give them eternal life, the forgiveness of sin for them to have a relationship with God. And so I think that there's reasons for that, but that's, I think that's really important for us to know. Now, Acts chapter 13, verse 6 through 8. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus, he was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimaeus, the magician, just so you know, Elimaeus and Bar-Jesus, same person. A little confusing. But Elimaeus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name. In other words, there's a name that he goes by, but there's his, also his, his Jewish name opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from faith. So I'm just going to call him Bar-Jesus, but we're talking about Elimaeus, the same fellow. He's not, uh, he's not okay with Paul and Barnabas talking to Sergius Paulus because he's a very intelligent man, and he is kind of like the leader of the proconsul, and he's afraid that they're going to mess up everything for him. And so they are really, he's really opposing this. Here's what I want you to know as you accept the Holy Spirit's offer when he gives it to you. And you just realize, okay, if he can use Nick and he can use Joni Erickson Cantata, then maybe he can use me. Here's some things that you have to understand, and that is that there's going to be barriers to this. Just like they are encountering a barrier here. You're going to have opposition. You're going to have challenges in order to, for you to step out in faith and let the Holy Spirit use you. Just like the people we just talked about would have had those as well. The, just the person that I had Bible study with and, and led through those conversations, there's still obstacles, right? Here's one of them that I know is in most of us, and that is this. Doubting that the Holy Spirit will work in us the way that he did with them. <laughs> right? Because we would all look at it like, well, he's not going to use me like Nick or Joni. We also read the Bible and say, well, he's not going to use me like Barnabas or Paul. He doesn't, he's not going to do that. And we will doubt it. It's hard to believe that the Holy Spirit will move like this today, like, it, like we're seeing in Scripture. But look at Nick and Joni. I mean, I'm telling you, they turned the world upside down in their lifetime. The Holy Spirit has not changed. He has not lost his mojo. Is that what we call it? He has not lost his ability, his power. And it's not based on our ability 
Like, man, the Holy Spirit can move better through them because they're more talented. No. He works better through them because they work better with the Holy Spirit. They are yielded. So the Holy Spirit has not changed, but here's something else that you need to know. Neither has Satan. He hasn't lost his mojo either. And he will do everything he can to discourage you. Do you remember Adam and Eve? They had a pretty good thing going. And then Satan comes along and all he says to them is, can you really trust that God has got your best interests at mind? He is trying to keep really good things from coming your way. And they believed it. And they lost it all. And Satan has not quit working like that from the beginning. He will try to convince you that God is just going to hold you back or that he's going to keep you from really doing great things in this world for yourself. He is going to keep you from doing great things in this world. So you got to remember that you're going to have that barrier and Satan is going to be right there trying to speak in your life that he is not working the same. The Holy Spirit doesn't work the same like he used to. He does. Here's another thing you have to re- keep in mind, and that is that you're going to feel inadequate. You're going to feel like that you just don't have it. And on our own, we don't have it. On our own, we cannot do anything significant. That is true. But the Holy Spirit living in us, there is nothing that is impossible. So you just can't let barriers be barriers. You just have to work over them, through them, or under them. But you can't let them stop you. And that's what Paul and Barnabas have shown us in here, is they just trusted God. But God didn't like just part the sea. And uh, that's one of the things you're going to see as we walk through all of these situations with Paul, and especially there, is they, this, they didn't just, like, all of these things disappear because they just went. They encountered things after things after things. One of the things we'll learn about Paul is that he got beaten several times, thrown in jail several times, left for dead several times, without food several times. He had his barriers, but he just kept on plugging along. And you're going to have them. And you're gonna, one of them is going to come right at the very beginning and it's going to be like, oh man, I just don't, I'm, I feel inadequate. And you just can't let it stop you. One of them could be like a lack of money. Well, I don't, I don't, how would I ever support this ministry? It shouldn't stop you. But the fact is, is the Holy Spirit's going to see if you're moving before those things open up. Just like the Paul and Silas. I, I've heard people say, sometimes young people, say, well, I'm going to try to uh, get things, you know, figured out here before we start our family. And I always laugh at that, like, figured out. What do you mean figured out? Well, we've got to get our house or our finances or job or, you know, whatever. I don't know. And it's just people that plan really well, Right? And I always just kind of laugh inside thinking, well, they're not going to have any kids anytime soon. Because there's just not ever going to be like the perfect time for things like that, right? And usually it just takes a while, but then they finally realize like, well, we're not going to have it ready. We're just going to do it. (laughs) And that's just what happened. Or, oops, (laughs) it just does it to us. But we were ready. You'll be okay. I think ministry is a lot like that. Do you remember when we used to hide and seek? And what did we always say right before we took out? We'd always throw out this warning. What did we say? Ready or not, here I come. I think there's this has to be this little bit of a motto when you sign up to be a follower of Jesus. And it's not, you know, shouting it out for other people. It's just like shouting it out for ourselves. Ready or not, self. Here I go, right? And then that's when we know, when we go, that's when we know that God is big 
And he really does have us. He really does. So we got to close out. I just want to read through what Paul says here. But Elimaeus, the magician, that is, the meaning of his name opposed him, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So Paul, who was called, I mean Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him, and he said, now where do you think Paul got this idea, by the way? I bet you will remember, if you remember Acts chapter 9, how Paul became a Christian himself. But he says, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness. I bet Jesus didn't quite talk to him like that, though he deserved it. Full of all deceit and villainy, you will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. What does that sound like? Sounds like his own conversion, right? Only I think he's letting him have it maybe a little harsher than even what he was given. But he immediately mist and darkness fell upon him. And he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So when the Holy Spirit sends you, recognize that there's going to be some barriers. Accept the job, though. Recognize there's going to be some barriers that you just have to work through. But also, when the Holy Spirit sends you, recognize not only your opposition, but your power that you now have to the opposition. Because you do. Paul had this power. I bet that was fun to unleash, right? To just let that man have it. For his own good, I'm sure Paul says. We don't get all the details, but apparently, you know, Bar-Jesus probably had a life-changing experience there. And he probably went around this X to the bar and just started running around proclaiming Jesus. Remember that the enemy is going to put up opposition against your ministry, whatever that ministry is. But remember that you are God's and God's, God is yours. Like you're now a team. And he's got your back. And he's going to be the one who makes you get through it and really accomplish great things in your life. I remember when I was a kid, I wouldn't dare, when I was little, dare go walking in the woods by myself at night. Just wouldn't do it. But if my dad said, hey, let's go walking in the woods, I would almost get excited to do something that I'm terrified of doing, but not being terrified to do it. And the only difference would be is that I trusted my dad to be there and, and, and know if we were in danger or not, to know how to handle anything that would come up in the situation. And it was always kind of fun. And I think that that's just the thing it is when you are in partnership with God, is that you don't go anywhere on your own. How many times does the Bible say to us, in the old and in the new, that I will not forsake you, I will never leave you? In fact, Jesus' departing words to all mankind, his disciples, but it was meaning for everyone that comes thereafter. What is his departing words? I will be with you always to the very end of the age. It's better that I leave so that he can come, that spirit that lives in us, because he can go anywhere and everywhere that you are. So we've learned a lot here in Acts 13. We have learned that if you want guidance from the Holy Spirit, then you have to seek guidance from the Holy Spirit. You just have to be a seeker. And you have to be busy. It's easier for God to guide somebody that is moving than somebody that's sitting around just saying, well, I haven't heard from God. I don't I guess I'll just sit here because I haven't, don't know. You've got to just be doing something, and he can guide that, a moving vessel. And we need to be praying and fasting. 
especially not leaving out the fasting part because we are more inclined to be able to hear. And then last week we talked about the universal will of God that we cannot live immoral lives and have things in our lives that we are doing we know is not pleasing to God and think that God is going to be able to protect us. When we're in his will, that umbrella, then we have the protection of God from because it's going to rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. But I don't know about you, I'd rather have an umbrella when it's raining. And that's that I'd rather have God when it's raining. And so we talked about that, and today we just have to realize that we are all called to ministry. We're not looking at Paul because we're just looking at somebody called to ministry, and let's just, let's just awe, ooh and awe of what he's doing. He wants us to be a part of this journey as well. And our job is to share Jesus with people. And if we don't know how to do that, we can learn how to do that. I did, and we just do it. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the encouragement from your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What a strange way to say things. I've been on mission for quite a while now. Um, doing different things, but and and it's given me the opportunity to meet some really, really cool people in my life. Uh, probably, probably none more exciting than the day I got to meet Neil Armstrong. We happened to be in Houston, and we were on a mission trip, and I I had no expectation that I was going to meet Neil Armstrong. We were. At, at, the, at a location, and there was a couple of bicycles on the wall set up um, by where we were, and this guy rides up on a bicycle. I'm like, I don't know who that is. And he rides up, and these two bicycles are there, and he grabs one of these bicycles. He gets off his bicycle, grabs one of the other bicycles, and throws it out of the way, and he's just cussing up a storm. Who Just mad as all get out. And I'm like, wow, that's interesting. And, I, and I've got my camera up. Of course, back then I carried my camera everywhere I went. It's probably a little annoying to most of the people around me. And I get ready to take this guy's picture, and he comes just straight on. I mean, he draws a bead on me, and he gets right up in my face, and he says, don't you dare take my picture. And, and I mean, it's, it's, the, the air is blue all the way around him. And I mean, he is right there in my face. Don't you dare take my picture. Okay, I won't. So I go on about my business, and I, a little while later, I noticed he's sitting over on a curb, and he's sound asleep. What do I do? I took his picture. <laughs> That's the kind of guy I am. So a little bit later, we had the opportunity. We got Everybody got through to go through the food line, and we all went through the food line, and I got my food, and he, I noticed that he had gone through first, and he was sitting, well, kind of by himself, and I'm like, what am I supposed to do? What do you know, I got my food, and I'm like, where do, where do I, I wanna, where do I want to sit? I'm guessing it was the Holy Spirit. I'm pretty sure it was the Holy Spirit because why else would you go sit down next to somebody who smells really, really badly, who has just threatened to kill you, and every other word out of his mouth is profane, why would you go sit down next to that person to eat your meal? Now he introduced himself, well, after I introduced myself, and he said, hi. He said, uh, I said, so what's your name? He says, I'm Neil Armstrong. And we had a really good conversation. We had an amazing conversation. He told me his life story. I didn't say much at all. He told me that he had had a good family life. He hadn't been home in years because the last time he'd been home, 
um, he told his father that he had AIDS. And his father went ballistic. And his family shunned him and said they didn't want to have a thing in the world to do with him. What do you think the most important thing I did that night was? I sat down next to a man who just needed somebody to sit down with him. That was all the Holy Spirit prompting. It had nothing to do with me. Was I prepared to do that? No. Was I, did I go to school to learn how to do that? No. Was I open and receptive to what God wanted me to do? Yeah. Like Mike said, it's not always easy. And I can guarantee you it's not easy, and I can also guarantee sometimes it doesn't smell good. But it prepares you for a lot of other opportunities that you may have. I mean, I've, I can tell you all kinds of stories. I'm, I can tell you about the day that I told a guy at the, at the plant who was probably stood a head taller than me, probably outweighed me by 100 pounds or better, who nobody ever messed with. When he came out, I was sitting in the break room, he came out of the, the locker room, and he was just cussing up a storm. And I looked at him, and I said, Mike, is that really necessary? And at that moment, as he has drawn a bead on me, I'm always in somebody's sights. I don't understand this. It's just one of those things. But as he comes right straight at me, and he looks at me, and he says, with his finger pointed, he says, I wouldn't take that from anybody else but you. It's not because of me. It's because of who I listen to. If we live our lives the way Paul lived his life after his conversion, if we live our lives the way God wants us to, open to the Holy Spirit, open to his urgings and his guidance in our lives, it can be an amazing thing. You know, we come to a, a time of communion every week, and, and we have to think about what is communion? What is this, and, and why did it start? We all know that it's juice and bread, or juice representing wine, but what was the purpose of it? One, it's, it's to sit down on the curb with somebody who wants you to sit down on the curb with them. And more importantly, it's you sitting down on the curb hoping that somebody will sit down with you and have a conversation with you or let you pour out your heart, let you pour out your story. That person is Jesus Christ. That's the person we want to sit down with us beside us when we come to this table and we sit down and we take that cup and we have that piece of bread and we have that juice that represents wine, that represents his body and blood. We want him to sit down with us and we can only do that if we've invited the Holy Spirit or his Holy Spirit into our lives to be able to do that. But that's the purpose. Jesus ate at a table with the person who was going to kill him or was going, that was going to allow him to be killed. He ate at the table with the person who was going to deny him, who was going to tell him, tell others that he didn't exist, but all in preparation for us to be able to come to a table and be reconciled to him the way he reconciled all of our sin. We come to the table this morning Listen to the Spirit, not just today, but listen to the Spirit every time you step out into the world. It's not always easy, it's not always fun, but it's always wonderful. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you invited us to your table. Thank you that... You made a sacrifice that was beyond any sacrifice we could possibly imagine just so that we would have the opportunity to sit down with you. 
Lord, we know that your spirit guides us. We know that your spirit lives within us and around us and amongst us. Lord, we pray that you let us see at work. Lord, we pray that our hearts are open to your spirit. Lord, as we come to the table, accept our apology for the things we've done that we shouldn't and the things that we should have that we didn't. Lord, you give us such great examples in your word. Lord, help us to learn from the good ones. And Lord, help us to make sure that we don't follow the bad ones. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we love you. Spirit, we thank you. Spirit, we love you. God, we thank you.